Welcome to So-and-So, brought to you by Bernina, made to create. I'm Meg Goodman, and you're about to enjoy a casual conversation with a special member of the sewist and quilting community. A conversation about how they got started, what inspires them, what excites them, and their connection to this community. Our guest today is Jean Wright, owner of Sew Sister Space Creations in Melbourne, Florida. Jean is a former NASA Aerospace Composite Tech, also known as a NASA Seamstress. Jean worked with the United Space Alliance at the Thermal Protection System Facility at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Jean grew up in Flint, Michigan, and with the influence of her grandmother and her next-door neighbor, Diane, she learned to sew at the age of seven. One of 18 seamstresses in her critical role at NASA, Jean and her co-workers dubbed their group the Sew Sisters. Using machines and hand-stitching to build, create, and repair thermal protection flight hardware and parachutes. She would go on to work on the Endeavour, Atlantis, and Discovery Space Shuttle missions. She also worked on the test parachutes and aft skirt blankets for the Orion spacecraft. Now retired, Jean remains involved with NASA as a docent for the Shuttle Atlantis exhibit at the Kennedy Space Center. She's a member of NASA's Speakers Bureau, representing the organization at civic, professional, educational, and public events. One of her biggest thrills was being asked by Mark Armstrong to cut and prepare for auction pieces of the historic Muslim fabric from the Wright Brothers' 1903 flyer that Mark's father, Neil Armstrong, carried to the moon aboard the Apollo 11 lunar module. Hi, Jean, and welcome to So-and-So. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. Thank you for asking me. It's always nice to get the story out um, because we're kind of like hidden figures. Uh, When people think of NASA sewing, the first thing they think of is, or they ask me, have you sewn the spacesuits? And I tell them, no, that's usually done in Delaware or Massachusetts. But uh, we had our own little team that actually uh, sewed flight hardware for the space shuttles. You know, what what I found fascinating is um, when when we found you and I started doing more research. First of all, I didn't know this existed. Um, and, and I think that that's something we're going to talk about later on. Secondly, the more I learned, the more there was, and this is fascinating. Um, I want to, I want to get started though, about how you started sewing. Now you started at the age of seven, you were influenced by your grandmother and your next door neighbor. So I want you to tell us about the women who influenced and encouraged you Tell us about your early sewing years and how you evolved to becoming a sewist and a quilter. That's a lot of stuff. (laughs) Well, you were right. I started at seven. Uh, We didn't come from a very wealthy household. And my grandmother um, sold most of my sister's and I's clothing. Um, And uh, my mother, it's funny, it seems like it skips every generation, every other generation, because my mother never sewed. But... um, when uh, we were a bit older and we moved uh, to an, an another neighborhood, Mrs. Hansford was not uh, able to have children. So um, she took us under her wing and um, I don't know, maybe we were kind of annoying, but no, she was a very sweet lady, but um, she taught us how to match plaids. And I know anybody who sews knows that's a, that's a key to seeing a, a garment that looks expensive is if the plaids match. So that was mm-hmm. a big deal to learn how to do that. And she had our first steam iron that we had ever seen to see an iron that hissed and made everything so nice <laughs> and crisp. And anybody who sews knows how important it is to be able to iron to get all your seams and everything to match correctly. So um, anyway, 
So I started from there. So then uh, my, my, how I ended up out there was um, we had, we walked on the moon and um, I was almost 14 and I was 13 and it was just a calling. You look up and you see the moon and somehow I knew that I, I had to be there. Uh, my family life was all right. I mean, I'm not a very happy one. So I guess you could say it was a form of escapism. Mm-hmm. But um, it's funny, when I started working out there, there was a number of people I worked with who said they did the same thing, that they walked outside, looked at the moon and said, someday I'm going to be there. So it's kind of like a unique little group mm-hmm. because they understood exactly how I felt to be there. Um, and I did the usual route, um, had my kids, married young, um, we traveled a lot because we were a Navy family, um, and it was time for him to retire, and he asked me where I wanted to move. I said, I'd love to work, move to Florida because that's where NASA is, and it's always been a dream of mine to work there. And um, so anyway, I, I li- lived there for a number of years, and then just one day I thought, you know what, my life was feeling kind of humdrum, and I thought, you know what, it's time for me to start chasing my dreams. So um, I was looking at the paper one day and they had an article about our returning to flight. And my friend Pilar was hand sewing a blanket and it was a picture in our local newspaper. And I wrote her because I told her I knew there was some sewing on the shuttle, but I had no idea to what extent, especially the hand sewing. So she probably thought I was crazy, but I emailed her asking her what the qualifications were. And they basically, you had to have an associate's degree, which was optional, but primarily you had to know how to learn, uh, read a blueprint and, um, and of course, know how to sew. Mm-hmm. So I applied for NASA and I didn't hear anything for six months, tweaked my resume with keywords and they found me through PeopleSoft and I had a two hour interview uh, with, in front of four people. And um, they said that they were surprised at how knowledgeable I was. But while I was waiting for those six months, I literally got on the computer and I uh, started studying anything I could about thermal protection, uh, be it the threads, the fabric, the process, to see that if eventually, if I would by some miracle got an interview, that I would know what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And it must have worked because the second time, uh, Kennedy Space Center came on the caller ID, and I thought somebody was playing a cruel joke on me. And um, so anyway, uh, I uh, interviewed, and uh, I did well. I must have done well. There were three mm-hmm. other ladies besides me that were interviewing. Uh, but after I finished my interview, my boss um, said to the, the panel, let's take her out to the building so she can meet the other ladies that work out there. And I thought it was just something that they did as a courtesy because I found out later they hadn't hired anybody in that position in almost nine years. Mm -hmm. So four days later, I got a call saying that I had been accepted into the team, all excited because I tell my daughter, oh gosh, this is a call mom's been waiting for for her whole life. And um, basically my boss is a little frustrated because he said, when we invited you out to thermal protection facility, uh, we just assumed that you knew you'd gotten the job. And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> they had just, we had lost Columbia and he said the building needed heart and I could see your passion for the shuttle program and the heart you had. And he said, and your, your spark, he said, was something I knew our building needed. 
So that's why I interviewed the other ladies, but I told the panel, she's the one I want to have. So that's pretty much how I started. <laughs> you know, it's and, and it all came from um, not giving up and following your dream. Do you remember the very first thing you sewed? Yes, it's funny. It's funny. You're right. Because when we sew, we have certain certifications and training that we have to do uh, before we start flying hard, hard, flight hardware, because that's a very critical thing. So we do and sew or manufacture, as I should say. Uh, or build. That's the term we use. It's a manufacturing position. So if I say build, for the people that are listening, it means I'm sewing, but the phrase we used was building. So we built a part. Technically, I was sewing, but we called it build. And the first thing I did, um, I sewed um, some computer bags. That was one thing that I sewed because, of course, we're getting used to using the big industrial sewing machines. Um, So we did that. And um, and I remember um, after that, we went into training. So we learned how to do different stitch lines, uh, different, um, basically how to read a blueprint, um, lots of technical stuff. Because each company had their own symbols uh, on the mylars. And we had to learn how what the new symbols were. Plus, we le- learning how to read a blueprint, we would make our own mylars, mylar patterns, uh, mylar plastic to hand draw our own uh, patterns that we use to build our flight hardware. And um, so, yeah, um, that was probably my first was probably something as basic as a computer bag. But my first flight sewing uh, was um, we have these liners and uh, that are in giant rings that go underneath the main engines. And it looks kind of like Naga hide. So that was probably my first piece of flight hardware. You don't see this part because it's actually underneath the engine blankets that surround the engines. But that was my first part I sewed was a liner that went underneath. It's called a dome heat shield blanket liner. And people who see the shuttle will see these giant rings. And these are the liners that go underneath that. And we also made the blankets that you see on the shuttle too. But um, I have to say 8251 was my, my part, my stamp number. And when you get your stamp, that's obviously showing you you passed all your certifications and you're now certified to build flight hardware. So to get that, it's quite a big day because that means, you know, you're responsible for astronaut lives just by that little number that you stamp on, a, on your parts as you're building them and even on your paperwork. So that was a momentous day for me. And, and your number went to the, went into space. Yes, it did. You, you, you accomplished that. Now um, I want to tell our listeners, um, please do take the time to go to the uh, so-and-so podcast website. Jean has provided numerous pictures for us uh, of the work that she did. Uh, And there's also uh, um, some uh, brilliant talks that she's given uh, on YouTube and you can uh, hear her stories and see some of the pictures. So do visit that. Now, Jean, um, speaking of these pictures, you and I have talked about the materials you've used, the preciseness of your work, uh, the tolerances uh, that this stuff has to be able to to achieve. Would you talk a little bit more about that? Because I, I know this is all brand new information for people listening to us today. You know, it's funny because it's pu- pu- uh, pretty utilitarian, the fabric. I say that, but in the general population, of course, it's not. The fabrics that we used uh, primarily, most people see on the shuttle is when the payload bay doors open, that's a beta cloth, which is a Teflon coated fiberglass 
Um, it's also used for the astronaut spacesuits, only that's a big difference. It's called orthofabric because it actually has a grid work of Kevlar threads behind their spacesuits. We wouldn't use that, but they would use that because it reinforces the fabric. So that one is quite a visible uh, fabric. We made about 2,200 payload bay blankets that you will see once those do- payload bay doors open. We also had a silver film called polyimid, which is comes perforated with holes or not. And we would use that in blankets that we called multi-layer blankets or MLI. Uh, we would have uh, between nine and 18 layers of film and a Dacron mesh that we would stack. Um, and it's 18 layers sounds like it's a thick blanket, but actually it's probably less than a 132nd of an inch high. So we made 5,500 silver blankets, and those would be the inside. The outside would be the silver polyimid. But what's so special about that fa- uh, film is it actually is a barrier for radiation for the equipment and for the astronauts. And it's got these little teeny tiny holes poked in it for what we use in NASA speak for the air to egress or leave because the blankets will have air in them when they're in, uh, on Earth. So when we're going into sp- space and the lack of oxygen uh, kind of compresses the blankets down in those little teeny holes and there's roughly Believe it or not, probably about 42,000 holes per square meter in that fabric, just little teeny ones, but it's just big enough that it allows when the blankets collapse for the air to leave. Um, so we also used mylar, which is a copper orange color uh, that you would see on Apollo 11 on the base of the lunar module, but we would use that film for inside of our blankets also. Again, for solar protection, mylar is usually used for solar and it's a film. We also had special threads, and I love talking about the threads mm-hmm. uh, because um, we had quartz thread, which was literally made out of stone, and the outside of the shuttle was covered with quilted blankets made out of quartz fabric also, mm-hmm. and so is the batting quartz. Um, so we had that. Um, we also had a special thread called AB440, and when we work in really high temperature fabrics and threads, they had a like a vegetable type of dye uh, that turned the uh, parts in the thread were pink. So anytime we saw pink, we knew we were sewing with a high temperature fabric. So we could tell the difference between regular fabric and our high temp fabric. So the thread, which I think is really neat, it was called AB440. And it's a high temperature thread and it's a neon pink. We use that to stitch the thermal barriers in the nose landing gear, uh, those are four feet long tubes, all done by hand. Uh, and it has batting inside of those. And we would hand stitch 12 of those into the wheel wells when the doors open up. Kind of like a like when you have a cold house and you put a draft protector in front of the door. But ours we stitch into around the wheel well doors so that they have really tight fitting doors. But the frustrating is the higher temperature that you go, the more fraying that you have, which I think is kind of ironic because I think of high temperature, I think of strong thread. But if anything, it's tendency because it can go up to, believe it or not, that thread's rated for 3,200 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. Um, And so when we're stitching, it frays real easy. So we'd be lucky to stitch an inch before we would have to knot and bury it and continue on. So it would take two of us roughly 17 hours to stitch 12 thermal barriers in a wheel well door. And we have three of those on shuttle. 
Uh, so that's what I would say, unique thread to high temp. And speaking of high temps, um, I think a lot of people think it's the bottom of the shuttle that's the absolute hottest on reentry, but it's not. Um, we um, sewed special blankets inside the nose because there's a curved panel that we used to call the shuttle smile, and it's called the chin panel. So we would hand sew a blanket there and actually have a spring tube that looks like a mesh tube. So we would compress it down, put the blanket in, and then the spring would open up so that it made sure it was a really tight-fitting blanket. So the hottest on reentry is right underneath her nose. Uh, the nose and leading edge is made out of a special fabric called RCC, or Reinforced Carbon Carbon, and it's hard as a rock. But it starts off as a graphite rayon fabric that we center it or take it down to a carbon ash and then layer it with a phenolic resin to get the thickness of that fabric that we need. Uh, the tiles would only do roughly 21 to 2200 degrees Fahrenheit. RCC could, like I said, would do way over 3000 degrees. So we would hand sew blankets called puzzle blankets to fill the 19 inches of cavity inside the nose. Puzzle blankets because they fit like puzzle pieces. And then we also would sh shape uh, a, do a domed blanket to fit inside the nose that was sewed in four pieces or quadrants together. Because again, Underneath the nose is the hottest. The second hottest area is the leading edge of the wing, especially where the wings indented in. So again, we hand sewed these special parts called horse collars. Depending on what panel they went underneath, we had 22 panels on each wing. The uh, horse collars were like long rectangles, and they were anywhere between four to five feet long that we would stitch by hand. And then we had a rectangular shaped support structure that we would wrap that long blanket into a rectangular shape, hand sew it where it met, and then we would put it underneath the black tile between RCC gray and the tile on the leading edge of the wing because those are the two hottest areas on her. So again, unique fabrics, unique threads. And speaking of the quartz thread, I think that's probably one of my most often asked questions is how in the world do you make fabric and thread out of stone? Mm -hmm. Because it's out of quartz. Mm -hmm. So my lead engineer explained it to me one day. Have you ever seen cotton candy being made? And I said, sure. And he goes, well, just imagine instead of sugar, we take quartz stone and finely grind it to almost a powder. And then what we do is we put it in a machine and we superheat it and it liquefies. And then it spins out just like a cotton candy would, only it gives us enough filament that we're able to twist it and to make it into a thread. And then eventually we can weave that into fabric. You know, I, I always thought that, that the hottest places on the shuttle were what everybody else thought about. Now, I, I have a question. You've worked on Endeavor Atlantis Discovery. Mm -hmm. How long does it take from beginning to end with all the work that you do to prepare um, one of the, the shuttles to, to go into space? Ooh, wow. You know what? The biggest, this, we go way back in history on this one. Most older people remember the shuttles had, the first two were covered completely in tile. Um, and that initially, I would say probably close to 36,000 tile on average, between 30 and 36,000, because believe it or not, each shuttle has their own little differences. Um, so that's why we have different tile. Um, so, but on STS-6, we actually flew test blankets, which are called flexible insulation blankets or FIB. So we um, had a test program that we would sew 
little blankets and, and glue them on the outside of the shuttle to see how well fabric would fly. Um, human, humongous weight savings. Yeah. Um, initially, what's so funny is the older women who I worked with told me that the blankets, especially in the Ohms pod, now the Ohms pod is that really big curved area between the tail um, in the back. Um, they said they look like blown out pampers because believe it or not, uh, <laughs> STS-6, which was Challenger, that was the first time we flew test blankets on a shuttle. They came back looking like blown out pampers, the lady told me, because in that Ohmspot area, you've got a lot of wind coming over that high bump, so to speak, and they were all buffeted back and forth and the threads had broken and everything else. So we learned eventually that we coated the blankets with a uh, ceramic paint called C9. So it's a process that we paint the blanket uh, and then about eight hours later, we'll put a second coat. So when you tap the blanket, it sounds like a China, check a China cup. But um, when we realized that blankets would do well for us, uh, unfortunately, when we lost Challenger, we put Columbia, which was the oldest shuttle, into Bay 2, and we took off roughly 7,000 white tile and replaced them with our fib blankets, weight savings of almost 7,000 pounds. Wow. Um, plus, we started flying what we call frizzy or flexible reusable surface insulation. It's a bright white uh, coating called elastomer uh, polymer, but it's on a brown Nomex felt. And there's like 4,200 inches of that on the top of the wings, top of the payload bay doors, on the top side of the crew compartment, and in some areas on the side of the shuttle. So between our frizzy and changing out the tile for the fabric blankets, we saved 8,000 pounds of weight. And of all the shuttles, Atlantis by three pounds is the lightest of all the orbiters that we have left. Huh. Uh, even, even our newest Endeavor, she weighs slightly less than Endeavor, mm -hmm. but it was a lot of weight savings for us simply because we had a giant sewing machine uh, that sewed 30 rows at a time and it would quilt what we called a PU or a production unit. And in that 30 by 30 inch square of fabric, that the machine would quilt, we would take our Mylar patterns and make whatever size blanket that we needed. But roughly, you could get anywhere between 15 and 20 equivalent tile in one piece of fabric. Um, and so it was a, literally a godsend for us. If you look at the Ohms pod, you'll see just how tight a curve that is. And mm -hmm. for us to build tile for that, we used to do what we called a dice cut, where we would cut a tic-tac-toe design on the back of each tile so that we would get that inner curvage that we needed to install on the ohms. So once we switch to blankets, I don't have to tell you, you've got blankets that are quilted. It gives us so much flexibility over a curve. Um, and so the blankets we made in 11 classes or thicknesses, and we go anywhere from as thin as a placemat to on the ohms, those are our class 11s. Uh, those are two inches thick. Uh, but the blankets are rated for anywhere between 650 to roughly 1300 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the exact temperature range that the tiles that they replaced. But again, you've got the weight savings and it's about $10,000 a pound to send something into space. So any weight savings that you can do, oh my. it allows you to carry heavier payloads and it just saves just a lot of weight.
Now, now you shared with me uh, earlier on a, a story about uh, in the work that you did, um, uh, somebody that you worked with said, you know, I can tell you're a quilter oh. um, by, by the way you did some things. Would you share that story with us? Yes, I'd be more than happy to. Uh, it's funny because, um, I don't know, you always take a certain pride in your work. You just do. And of course, you know, you're, you're flying to save lives, so you're very particular. But you're right. One of our quality guys, I was working on a hexagonal piece and I had really tight corners that if I do say so myself, they were very precise and perfect. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, I I didn't even have to look at the number uh, on the stamp of who made this blanket because he said the corners were perfect and so precise. And he says, I could tell you were a quilter because when you're precise in your sewing, because you have to match up seams. He said, I didn't even have to look at the, 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 the buying number. I knew it was your piece. So for for all our quilter friends who are listening, you were well represented uh, in space by Jean and her her quilting work. Um, Jean, you you mentioned um, a mach- the machines that you used before, and I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Who is Lurch? Oh, Lurch! I love talking about Lurch. Uh, I think it's a huge surprise to people. Uh, we have a lot of industrial sewing machines up there because we sew through thick things and thin, thin things, of course, too. But Lurch's first job uh, was sewing saddles. Uh, so we had two upstairs. Lurch was our oldest. He was a Singer 9710 that was built in 1914. We actually did adjustments to him. He was relatively small, but then we extended his arm or his harp to almost six feet long so that we could do um, sewing of our blankets. So we use lurch for um, what we call closeout stitching on the blankets, which basically in our sewing world, it's top stitching. So those fabric blankets that we would finish off by hand, because each of those are knotted and hand sewn on the back before we install them. But lurch would do the two rows of closeout or top stitching on those blankets. But he would also be the machine that we would use to do those giant eight and a half foot across uh, dome heat shield blankets for sound suppression around shuttles engines. So um, there are 125 stitch lines that radiate out on those half circle blankets. And there's actually two of those blankets uh, for sound suppression. Uh, we have to hand knot and bury each knot. Um, not only like in the quilting world, because you want the back to look as nice as the front, but for us, it's very important that we bury the knots because any type of knot on a surface of our blanket would not only create drag, but it would also cause excessive heat in that area. So um, you're talking about burying and knotting um, 125 stitch lines just on one blanket. Uh, so those would take us roughly about four and a half days apiece to do. Uh, and again, what's so fascinating is, is people don't realize when we sew those blankets on, we actually have a wire thread called Inconel 625. And those blankets are literally hand sewn onto the back of the shuttle with a wire thread. So yes, Lurch was, we loved it. It's an Astro tradition. All of our sewing machines have names. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the Apollo program where Big Mo and Sweet Sue, which were giant singer sewing machines too. And those were the sewing machines that sewed the Apollo suits that went to the moon. So I love the tradition. It's, and Lurch, I don't know how he got his name, but he's our oldest sewing machine that we use. Is he is he still uh, in use? Is he still working? Yes, he is. Excellent. Yes, he is. In fact, about um, 
oh, roughly about a year before the program ended, we had uh, a woman from the Smithsonian come into our building and she had these bright neon orange fluorescent stickers that she stuck on our sewing machines because eventually they will be going to the Smithsonian. So the giant 30 needle multi-needle sewing machine has got a sticker. Lurch has got a sticker on him and some of the other machines do because they're so unique looking anyway uh, that, of course, for historical value, eventually they will be gone. We don't use the multi-needle machine anymore because that was only used to quilt blankets for the shuttle um, and also aft skirt blankets, which is the bottom of a, a booster um, on the Orion capsule. But um, Lurch's, Lurch and the other uh, singers that we have that are the old ones, those are still being used, so they won't be going to the Smithsonian anytime soon. Uh, Jean, tell us about, uh, tell us the story of your phone call from Mark Armstrong and where that conversation led to. I had met Mark Armstrong at a space event uh, a few years prior, and uh, and I, I have some flown payload bay liner fabric, and I was talking to him about the sewing that I did on the shuttle. Eventually, I sent him, his family, some little squares of fabric uh, from the payload bay liner. But anyway, I got a phone call out of the blue. And telling me that I was going to, from Mark, saying that um, there was a special project that he wanted me to work on, and I would have to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and uh, that piqued my interest, of course. And he says I'm going to let Craig Fiamaro. He works for um, a hair, uh, an auction house, and he goes, "It's a project that I want you to work on." But Craig will be calling you tomorrow. But he said, "You know what? I was so fascinated with your story about." how you love the Wright brother history and how uh, you worked on the shuttle. And he said, you were the very first person I thought of that would cut the fabric my father took to the moon. So that's, that's, that's beyond mind blowing. So I got a call the next day. He filled me in on what I needed to do. Uh, and long story short, it was an Ohio shaped piece of fabric um, that I thought was appropriate since Neil Armstrong's from Ohio and mm-hmm. the Wright brothers are from Ohio. I literally teared up when they brought the fabric into the room um, in commemoration of the movie First Man, which came out in 2018, uh, about Neil Armstrong. Um, and also, it was the, the in 2019, the 50th anniversary of the Walking on the Moon. Um, they wanted to get a bunch of fabric ready for auction. Some of the money went to the family, some went to charity, but I ended up cutting it in close to 200 pieces. Uh, and it was just, when you walk into the room, they had video cameras and lights and everything is very secure because mm-hmm. this auction house processes stuff for auction that are the most expensive items in the world. And obviously, since this fabric flew on the 1903 Wright Flyer and also was carried to the moon um, on Neil Armstrong's what we call a PPK, personal preference kit, where the astronauts are allowed anywhere between three and four pounds of special items to take with them. And he said he wanted an homage to the Wright brothers, because if it wasn't for them, obviously we wouldn't have been landing on the moon. The fabric was in very rough shape. Um, It was stored for 13 years after they took some of it off the Wright flyer. And literally they had a flood in Dayton. So the fabric had been exposed to damp dampness. So it had mold on it. It had oil spots in it. And I can tell this to seamstresses and sewists because they'll smile when I say this. 
I had to wear magnifying glasses and I had a special pair of scissors and a marking tool to make precise cuts on the fabric. Mm -hmm. But when I looked closely at the fabric, I noticed at the 45 degree angle line, there was a very, very faint pencil line that would be equivalent to 45 degrees to the salvage part. And so women know that when you're working on bias, that's the stretchy part, and it's roughly 45 degrees to your salvage. Now, um, it's funny because Wilbur was the one who sewed on the fabric. Orville was the one that marked the fabric. So I remember saying to Craig, um, you know, there's a pencil line on this fabric. And he said, well, we never noticed it before. And I got all thrilled, and I said to him, people who sew realize bias is the most stretch. And since this fabric came from the left wing of the flyer, we're going over curved parts, just like we did on the shuttle. All of our parts were cut on the bias. So I said, clearly, this was Orville's way of marking where that true bias line was. And Craig said, we never noticed it on that fabric before. And I said, that's because I sew and I look for things <laughs> like this. So um, they were thrilled. And, and Mark unfortunately wasn't there the day I cut the fabric he was going to be his mother eventually died three weeks later but Mark was in Ohio taking care of his mother so uh, Craig said we're going to have to call Mark and let him know this Um, I don't know if the fabric that had the pencil lines got more but I cut it in roughly in the really rough areas where the fabric was fraying and was really disintegrating I cut three by three quarter by three quarter inch pieces those went for $95,000 a piece in the auction. And the ones that I cut roughly an inch and a quarter by inch and a quarter, those went for $175,000 a piece. Oh, my. <laughs> um, so that, I'm just saying, you're touching history. And, and, and like I said, I'm crying because, number one, I'm honored that I was able to cut it. Two, to see it. Um, and people ask me, were you able to touch the fabric? Well, no. It's like anything else historical. Of course, I had gloves on. But Craig afterward let me take the little shavings of my fabric that I cut. And he said, and there's a, they, they, as soon as I cut the pieces, they stuck them in little plastic cases with ID numbers on because we were working to a, a numbered schematic. So when he closed one of the plastic containers with a little piece of fabric, there were three threads hanging out. And he says, you can take your gloves off now and you can tickle those threads and you can say <laughs> you touched the fabric. <laughs> um. Jean, you are a huge believer in and supporter of STEAM programs. People call them STEM, but you say that A is important. Yes. So I want you to talk more about this and why you are so passionate about these programs. And I am. I think in my case, I was. I did fine. And I did all right in math and science. It wasn't an interest to me. I've always been more on the creative side and there's always that talk of left brain and right brain people, and you'd get kind of into a little fussiness with some of the engineers, because I think because we sewed, um, I guess it was, it's traditionally women, and there were some of our engineers who I think kind of downplayed our importance, even though our boss used to tell them, my, my ladies make me look good every day, um, and they're very particular about their work. Um, But again, I'm more creative, hence I do quilting and I do art quilting. I think what it is, is I think it's an avenue. People who aren't good in math and science think, oh, there's no way I have a chance to work for NASA. But when I do my talks, I emphasize we really need creative-minded people because those are the dreamers of the world, the ones that can imagine different things, uh, 
We need people who know how to draw, to come up with new concepts, to draw blueprints, to come up with ideas, people who know how to write so they can do descriptions. Uh, cases for me, uh, I want people to know that, yes, we need engineers, but we also need sewists and seamstresses to sew flight hardware mm -hmm. um, from from sewing has been around since way before the Egyptian times. And it's amazing to me how even our technological items that we create and build still need the, the, the um, sewing. We just need sewing. And, um, and we use it on every single vehicle that ever goes into space, satellites, uh, rockets, anything. Everything needs thermal protection. So we will always need people that will sew. And, and I think that's important because a lot of people don't realize the amount of handwork that these vehicles need because you're working to such preciseness. And in some cases, we are working to one one hundred thousandth of our stitch lines, and we would have to do calculations even to take into account the thickness of our threads that we were using. So it's very detail-oriented, and even some of the parts, like the gap fillers between the tile, which were sewn by hand, they look like little pillows. We even had to come up with calculations of how many grams of batting to go inside of them, which of course involves math. But again, I always used to say that there's love coming out of a sewist's hands. And what better way to do that is you know you're protecting the astronauts. I, I just want people to know that we need creative people. And I really do think it's just as important as math and science, especially as an avenue for people who may not have interest in that. But, but they're very creative, but I'm just letting them know that NASA needs creative people too. <laughs> so if, if somebody's interested in finding out more about the, the program to sew for NASA, how do they go about that? How do they find out about it? Well, anything like that, any question that anybody might have, NASA has a wonderful site on their computer, um, nasa.gov, and just type in sewing or thermal protection because it's thermal protection is where we would need mainly the seamstresses at or sewists at. And of course, um, in Delaware, ILC Dover uh, is the company that makes the spacesuits even now. Uh, and though they are doing spacesuit development in Houston with the astronauts where they train there. And I had a chance to work with Amy Ross and visit her. And she let me test some of the materials and stuff that they had in Houston when I was there um, at the International Quilt Festival, when I gave a talk that day, she gave me a two-hour tour of where she sewed her uh, development for the sewing machines for when we go to, um, excuse me, the um, uh, astronaut spacesuits when we go to Mars. So basically, contact NASA.gov. Or if they want to contact me, you have my contact information, and they can find me on Facebook uh, because I'm standing in front of the shuttle on my Facebook page. So if anybody has any questions or would like to find out anything else that I may not have brought up today, um, they're more than happy. I'm more than welcome to have them write me. Tell us about So Sister Space Creations. Well, I did that as an homage to my ladies. We were called the So Sisters. Mm -hmm. We were named that because the tiles were built downstairs in our building, and we ladies sewed on the thermal protection uh, system facility's second floor, and the guys would come up and would watch us sew, and they would say, gosh, we had no idea there's so much hand sewing that you do. Um, it looks like a quilting bee up here. So they nicknamed us the Sew Sisters. So how my business got started is I had the opportunity when the program ended, I have a collector friend of mine uh, named Ken uh, Habakot, 
And um, I asked him, was there a way I could purchase some flown fabric that had flown into space? And so I bought some fabrics from him and I decided to somehow, even though the shuttle program had ended, that the fabric or at least some of the fabric life of shuttle would still continue. So um, I decided to name my small little business after my fellow sew sisters. And um, I make shirts and lanyards and ties, but everything that I make has a piece of flown payload bay fabric from either Columbia Discovery and, and or Endeavor. I wasn't able to get any from Atlantis, unfortunately, but um, that's what I'm known for. If people order anything, they know that they're going to get something with a piece of fabric, a beta cloth, which is the white fabric that flew into space. Jean, besides uh, your company, you're uh, currently a docent at NASA. What's next for you? What's your dream? Oh, gosh, what's my dream? Gee. Um, part of me would like something that I sewed. I mean, yes, I had stuff that I created and built flown into space. I would like to make my own uh, quilt block like Karen Nyberg did mm-hmm. and have that flown into space. Um, but it, it is an honor. Um, believe it or not, it's kind of off the wall. Uh, I've um, worked at the off-crew office uh, and did a few interviews there where the astronauts actually sewed up an OSB2 and they had a few ladies that actually bake and, and cook for them. Uh, eventually, I think, I love to sew, but I would love to work in the, uh, the uh, office over there making food for the astronauts. <laughs> um, that's probably not going to happen, but it's always been a dream. But I think primarily, um, uh, sewist-wise, um, it's just important for me to get the, the word out about the Sew Sisters and how we have uh, sewists at every NASA center. Um, and I just w- want to get the word out that, yes, we may not be known, but I think that's my goal. Uh, eventually, I- I've heard word that uh, we have a publisher that's interested in a book that was written about me from a lady who met me at Atlantis called Sew Sister. So hopefully that will come out and, and get the story out from all the ladies. And we had a few men, but just in our building, just women uh, that sewed. And I just want people to know that there's um, there's opportunities. If you really, really want something, um, and I really wanted this, for years I wanted this, and it's still a miracle, uh, even now when I think about it, that I had a small part in working on the shuttle. From the day you looked at the moon when uh, when we landed there? From the day I looked at the moon, yes. It's funny. Um, it's just, I don't know, I'm a photographer now, and I'm, a- and I'm able to um, set up remote cameras and uh, take pictures, and I still take pictures of the moon and take pictures of the rocket launches. So I'm still active in NASA. Um, it's just that it's something this little girl from Michigan who never thought she had a chance got to do something in her life that she always wanted to do. Jean, we've talked about a lot of things today. Is there one question I didn't ask you that you wish I had? Oh, I, I guess I would have to, one thing I would think I would ask right off the bat, um, people think there was a lot of important things that we sewists did on the shuttle. We had a lot of situations where we had blankets that pulled off in sections. And uh, in one case, we, uh, we had a blanket pull back on the Ohms pod. And we literally had two days that we had to replicate that section. It was on Atlantis, on STS-117. A lot of wind in that area. Uh, and we were afraid, again, 
anything sticking up, you're going to have excessive heat drawn to it. So we had to fire up our multi-needle machine and make class 11 two-inch thick blankets. And the guys downstairs had to build tile. And we had to replicate four different sections of the ohms pod to see if we couldn't get the uh, blanket back down, uh, would it be safe for her to come home? And so that was stressful. We, the, I just have to say, we people who sew have saved the program a lot. <laughs> a lot of repair work that has been done in space has been because of what we sew. And eventually, Danny Olivas, who was the astronaut, he was able to take little pins and he had a suture kit and staples that he put the blanket piece down Plus, he pressed it down with his finger. Um, and so I guess the other thing I would have to say is not only did we work on the shuttle, but people, I think, will be surprised. I actually had to go up on the launch pad and sew. So the first thing is, is what needs to be sewn on the launch pad? Mm-hmm. Well, during the shuttle program, there's a giant external tank that's orange, but we actually have hoses that lead up to it called gox hoses or gas, gaseous oxygen. Mm-hmm. And they look like dryer venting, those things in the back of your dryer that vent out the, 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 lint, uh, the lint. Oh, sure. So part of it is encased with this really stiff material. But then when we go up towards the beanie cap, which is this cap that's 410 feet up in the air, and I'm afraid of heights, but I had to go up there, mm-hmm. and it's a venting cap. So we would literally have to go up on the pad and hand sew patches on that accordion-like uh, fabric because it's exposed to the elements 24-7. So yes, we would have to go up there and sew patches on that um, from time to time. So that's something that's kind of um it's different nobody would expect that we would have to take our sewing up on the launch pad and and get over your fear of heights and this this job pushed you (laughs) well you know what i literally there's two people they assign up there for some reason that external tank it's a wildlife area out there and we have birds galore out there uh we had one flight where some woodpeckers actually pecked 410 divots into the tank and they thought they could fix it but they ended up taking the shuttle back to the vehicle assembly building to fix it. So there's just two people up there with air guns and water hoses to spray the birds away. So you're up there with them while you're sewing. That's all they can do is watch for birds. But I used to get off the elevator and say a prayer, don't let me look foolish up here because there's cameras everywhere Uh and the floor is all graded so you can look down and see all the way to the ground. And they say, if you're afraid of heights, don't look down, but that's the first thing you do. Of course it is. But the water up there, the water up there is beautiful. It almost looks like the Caribbean, beautiful shades of blue. And so looking at the blue water, Uh that would relax me. So yes. And again, being honored that how many people get to work up on a launch pad? That's true. Jean, this has been amazing. It's been a wonderful conversation. I want to thank you so very much for sharing your story with us today. Oh, well, thanks. I bet some of our listeners would like to reach out to you. Would you remind us again the best way for them to do so? Oh, sure. I'd love to. And I don't mind getting emails. Um, if they want to email me, it's candylady187 at msn.com. They can reach me on my Facebook page under Jean Wright. Um, And I have my arms crossed in front of Atlanta, so you'll know that's the right Facebook page. Or they can also reach me on my Facebook page for my business, So Sister Space Creations. And I'll answer anybody's questions because I get a lot. Jean, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for asking. Absolutely. 
Well, there you have it. Another story about someone just like you, someone for whom sewing and quilting is so much more than a hobby. It's a way of life. It's a connection to something much bigger. If you think you know somebody who has an outstanding story, a story that should be shared on this podcast, please drop me a note to info at soandsopodcast.com or just complete the form on our website. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and visit our website, soandsopodcast.com for more information about today's and all of our guests. That's S-E-W-A-N-D-S-O podcast.com. And finally, I want to thank Bernina for making this program possible. I'm Meg Goodman, and I look forward to you joining us next time on So-and-So.